So a couple of things before we move to God's Word. You can open your Bibles to Psalm 73. And uh, first of all, uh, nothing, nothing, not, none of these things happen without my wife, Kathy. Uh, she's, she's the one that stay home. I'm the one that gets to go places and eat great food and do uh, meet wonderful people and see the grace of God moving in different places. So I just want to thank her and my kids. They, they are really a support for the mission. We think our family is a mission. And when, when Rich says it's a sacrifice to leave my family, we understand that, but we don't see serving the Lord as a sacrifice. It's a joy to serve the Lord. Uh, and whenever we think the, the mission is taking us, we want to do it wisely. I only miss eight Sundays a year in our church. So even though I'm traveling at all, you should have short trips. And the Lord has allowed us to, to do that. And when Rich mentioned to maybe come, the reason I really wanted to come, I, I love preaching God's word, uh, but I wanted to thank you. I just want to uh, let you guys know, maybe you're not aware the impact this church is having in the work that Sovereign Grace is doing and the blessing that Rich is to all of us that we're trying to be on the front lines. He's such a support, and that support comes from this church. So uh, I just wanted to, re if, if you get something of what I say today, it will be thank you. Thank you for being gospel partners. Thank you for your generosity in so many ways. Thank you for supporting Rich in what he's doing, allowing him to serve. Uh, outside the local church, that makes a difference. And Rich has become a, a, a dear friend. And one of the things that I always uh, take away when I'm interacting with him, he does, he does not only care about what I'm doing, he cares about me and my soul and my family. And that's a gift from the Lord. And that is an extension of you. So when he cares for me, you all are caring for me and everything that the Lord is doing. In Latin America, there's there's it's an exciting time to be doing things in Latin America. Uh, but really, 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 what I want to say: if you fall asleep after this, I just want to say thank you uh, for for being gospel partners. And it really is very encouraging. In a pastoral ministry, sometimes we pastors we can believe a lie that we're alone and. Sometimes it feels because we carry some things more deeply than the rest of the people, and we feel alone because people don't carry it as, as deeply as we do because we are called to do different things. But, but when you have ministers, churches that support, it's a reminder of the Lord in his kindness to tell us that we're not alone. So you guys do that to, toward me and our family on our church. And my, my, my wife, she always laughs when I'm with Rich because she knows I'm, I'm going to laugh, which I need to laugh. Uh, we, have, we have some stories we're going to tell. I, I have some stories and things, but I don't, I'm not going to go there. But I'm also going to be encouraged and cared for. So thank you very much. Uh, I'd like to say something before I preach in English. And I, I'm not trying to, to, to get your sympathy or anything like that. Uh, but I, I really, my prayer and my hope is that my accent is not a distraction, but my accent is a reminder of the unity that we have in Christ from all nations. So, so uh, I really... Don't, 
Don't, don't come at the end and say, no, it's okay. No, no, I'm not trying to get your sympathy. I, I really want to point to something that I think is a reality. So I'm going to pray. We're going to read some portions, not the entire, Psalm 73, and then we're going to preach God's Word. Lord, we are grateful for your mercy. You are good. Oh, that we, have, that we will never forget your goodness and your kindness. And that as we are reminded of your kindness and your goodness, we are reminded mostly by you giving your son for our sins. And that that reminder of your goodness will affect our souls and we will be satisfied in you. And you will be all that we need. And we will be content and we will be joyful and worshipful because of what you have done for us. Be with your church as your word is preached. In your name we pray. Amen. So I'm going to read some portions from Psalm 73, starting in verse number 1. This is, this is the word of the Lord speaking to his people. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my step had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Verse 5. They are not in trouble as others, as they are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Verse number 12. Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. Verse 16. I will go to the, to the end of the, of the psalm. But when I thought how to understand this, it seems to me a worrisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their ends. Truly you set them in slippery places, you make them fall to ruin. How they're destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O oh Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell all of your works. This is the authoritarian word of our Lord. As a Puerto Rican, I grew up watching boxing. In Puerto Rico, we have the three B. Boxing, basketball, and baseball. No soccer in Puerto Rico. Those that we, we leave that for the Mexicans. We don't, we, we don't do soccer in Puerto Rico. The island is too small. If we kick the ball too hard, it will go to the ocean. So we don't play soccer. But we box. And my dad was a semi-professional boxer. And I grew up sparring with him. And grew up going to uh, boxing matches. And one thing you learn is that the most devastating punch is not maybe the hardest punch. 
Boxers are, are trained to receive and absorb a, pong, a punch that they see coming. It's, it's almost like you can stand there and receive a punch and you can absorb it because they're trained to do that. The one that really messes people up is the one that they cannot see coming. Maybe an example of that is Manny Pacquiao. He, this was this short guy knocking out big guys, but his big thing was his angles. He was coming from angles and speed. I look like I can box, huh? Angles and speed that was hitting people in, in ways that they were not expecting. And when that punch hits, it knocks you out. You, you don't see it coming, and you are like kind of in a fog. Many times suffering can come to our lives that, that, like that unexpected punch. You, 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 you see some things coming, and you get prepared, but there's some things that come to our life that we don't see coming, and our lives are shaken. We are like in a fog. We don't think clearly. We are absorbed by the situation that we just, maybe a couple of days ago, we couldn't imagine that we would be in that situation. Who have thought in March, you know, 2020, that a couple of weeks later, our life would have been transformed and changed by the pandemic. We didn't see that coming. And all of a sudden, we're like caging our homes, couldn't go out. And our, our lives are kind of absorbed by the suffering, by the situation. It can be uh, a sickness that come in a time in your life that, that it seems like everything was going fine and okay. It can be the rebellion, rebellious of a child that he grew up serving the Lord and all of a sudden it seems that the gospel doesn't have any effect in his soul. It can be somebody close to you sinning toward you in a way that you, you cannot really explain why they are so hardened toward you. It can be difficulties in relationship. It can be financial issues. It can be problems at the local church. It can be just discouragement because we live in a fallen world. But when we are in this type of suffering, our, our lives get kind of centered into uh, what we're going on and our thinking get foggy and in our world is rock and shaken because we're totally consumed by the situation we're, we're going through. I think we all have gone through that and we, if we haven't lived, we're younger, I assure you something will get to our, our life that we will have that experience. And Psalm 73 talks about this type of suffering, this type of suffering that comes to somebody and that person cannot explain why this suffering is happening in their lives, why this is coming. And the, the way the, the psalmist is processing his suffering is he's saying, why does the wicked prosper? And it seems that I that serve the Lord, things don't go well. Why do calamities in the world happen? And Psalm 73 we help us, will help us to see that in the midst of difficulties, when it seems that everything is going wrong for us and that wicked people are prospering, it's going to remind us one truth that needs to be present in our life always. We cannot forget that God is good. That He's always good. And that His presence, His nearness is good to us. In the presence of God, we experience the goodness of God. We, we have to remember that 
in times that we are kind of thinking not clearly. I want to clarify something before I move forward. When I'm talking about suffering, we are in a time in our lives that in general people are kind of more susceptible to think they're suffering when they're having an inconvenience. And we need to learn to differentiate suffering and inconveniences. You know, sometimes in the morning, you, you go to social media and somebody goes and say, oh, I went to Starbucks and I asked for a double pump latte with extra sugar and they only did one pump. My life is ruined. You know, that's not suffering. That's an inconvenient. And sometimes we need to, we, we live in such a world, in a world like we have so many advances, so many, well, people can live in Phoenix because there's air conditioning. You know, we, we are kind of used to things and we're getting softer toward just the reality that day-to-day -day life, there's going to be inconvenience. I'm talking about real suffering that comes to our lives because we live in a fallen world and things are going to shake us, shake us to the core. And God wants to remind us that in those moments, we need to re be reminded that in the presence of God, we experience the goodness of God. God has revealed himself, and he has revealed that he is good all the time. And our temptation is that many times when suffering comes, to think that God is not good, and we need to remind ourselves he's good all the time. So in the presence of God, we experience the goodness of God. Point number one, the goodness of God. Go with me to verse one. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. The, the psalmist is doing something. He's trying to, to get our attention because he's going to go from verse 12 to verse, to, from verse 2 to verse 16, and he's going to talk about his temptation of comparing himself with the wicked and asking the question, why are they prospering and things are not going well with me? And before he does that, he knows our temptation to go to his pity party with him and say, it's true, it's true, why is this thing happening? And before he does that, he wants to have something that we are reminded through the entirety of the psalm, God is good to his people. We, we cannot read Psalm 73 without remembering that's opening line. It's like a, like a Times Square billboard. Now it's LEDs. There used to be neon. Now it's LEDs flashing through the entire psalm. This idea, this concept, God is good. We can experience calamities. We can experience difficulties. But God is truly good. And our problem is that usually we measure the goodness of God through circumstances rather than what he has revealed himself to be. So when things come to us, our temptation is to use those circumstances to measure to see if God is good or not. Because we really think the idea that we should not suffer and that question comes, if, it's, if God is truly powerful, if God is all-controlling, and He's good, why do I suffer? And this psalm wants to give us the, the truth and be grounded in this truth. 
that good that God is good. And one thing I want you to pay attention here is says, truly God is good to Israel. And this is where I see the gospel clearly in this passage. What this is saying, God is good to his people. Old Testament, who were his people? Israel. New Testament, who is his people? The church. So truly God is good toward his church. How are we the church? Through the sacrifice of the Son, Jesus Christ. We become this body that reveals the heavens on earth more clearly every Sunday as we meet. And without the gospel, God is not good towards the church. The, main, the biggest good that, the, that God has given his people is the gospel that without it, we could not come together. And I'm making sense there? So God is truly good, good to his people through the gospel because without the gospel, we will not be his people. We will be stranded. So the gospel is clear in this first verse. Without him calling, him calling us to him through the sacrifice of Jesus, we cannot be part of his church. And, and you see verse, the second part of the verse? To those who are pure in heart. I don't know about you, but if I'm sincere with myself, I'm not pure in heart. I have thoughts that are scary. I have impulses that are shameful. So he should not be good to me because I'm not completely pure in heart. But again, through the gospel, the one that was pure in heart allowed us to be part of his people. And through that, he is good to us. The goodness of God is more clearly revealed through Jesus Christ, the pure in heart, the one that didn't deserve punishment, the one that was perfect, and through his perfection, now we're part of his people, and God can pour his goodness toward us. Oh, what a good God we have. So my wife and I, we got married in 1999. And, you know, I was a, an engineer, she's a CPA, and we did the dink thing for a couple of years, double income, no kids, kind of enjoying life. We love to travel. And, you know, four years into marriage, being, you know, we said, let's, let's try the kids thing. You know, we were in a sovereign grace church, and it seems like kids were, like, popping up everywhere. <laughs> let's, let's do it. And, you know, we are trying. She's not getting pregnant. We're kind of start to get worried. She goes to her doctor. Doctors say that most likely she has some kind of condition. And we start to walk the painful process of infertility, which every month becomes like a, like a funeral, as you are expecting and wanting this thing. And, and let me tell you something. When you want to have kids, kids comes everywhere. Everybody's having kids. It's like, it seems like they're popping out of like doors. It's like, oh, we were not even trying. Oof, another blessing. They have like seven. <laughs> and, and in those moments, you are tempted to, to, to judge or doubt the goodness of God. Are you truly God, God? We would be great parents. We wouldn't know what we're saying. 
Now he's, Joe is turning 15. I'm, help us, God. <laughs> I'm in the process of looking for, to see, confirming, and calling to ministry. We went to Miami to visit a church. And we're staying with a couple in, in their home. And we're sharing our hearts. We've been two years maybe into this situation. And the husband told us, if God didn't give, us, give you kids, would you really think that he was good? And I was like, thank you, brother. You know, tell me something encouraging. And I can remember me and Kathy in the Miami airport crying and telling, God, you are enough. You are enough, God. And by the grace of God, and we think miraculously, he opened Kathy's wound, and we had Joey, and then 18 months later, we had Janelle. But the, the, the story is not that he gave us kids. The story is that no matter what, God is good. Because he gave his son for our sins. He sacrificed to those who are not pure in heart. The pure in heart gave his life so we can be his people. So in the presence of God, we experience the goodness of God. Point number one, the goodness of God. Point number two, the absence of God. And before you guys run me out of here as a heretic, when I say the absence of God, it's not that God is absent. It's that we perceive that he's absent. We think he's, he's, he's away. We don't think he's near. When, 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 when this kind of suffering comes, we... We ask that question, where are you, God? And, and, the, and the psalmist asked that question. And we give ourselves to, to self-pity. It, it becomes this precious thing that, that we kind of treasure because it feels good to feel bad. And, and we kind of embrace that and run towards that and become something precious. And, and the psalmist go and envy the wicked. Look at point number two. But as for me... My feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. So he's saying, I, I almost got lost. I almost got lost my way. My way. It's almost like say, I, 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 I stopped being a Christian. I almost, I got almost to the point that my faith was being doubted. He was close to maybe what some of the people in the book of Hebrews was experiencing. They were being persecuted and some of them were tempted to apostatize and leave the faith. So, so the psalmist was experiencing those same things. I don't know about you. It comes for me that people that the Holy Spirit used to write the Word of God have those kind of struggles. And they're open about it. Because same kind of struggles that we can have at some point. So he said, I, I, almost, I almost got lost. And he gave us the reason on point number three. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the, of, the, of, the, of the wicked. You see, the problem is not that the wicked prosper. The problem is that we are measuring God's goodness by circumstances and not by his revealed truth that he's good through the gospel. And trials allows sometimes circumstances to dictate what is good, and we are tempted to envy other people. We, we can envy others 
in different ways. It can be that it seems like you are the kind of person that always has health issues. You, you, you eat correctly, you exercise, and your cholesterol levels are high. And there's people that smoke, eat fried chicken every day, and they're healthy. And you're like, what, what, what's going on? Or you can be at work, people are not doing the right things and they're getting promoted and you are the one trying to do things in a way that glorifies the God and it seems like you're being lagging behind. It seems like churches prosper with wrong messages and, and churches that try to preach the word of God, it seems that it's a struggle to move forward. Sometimes it is through parenting as we are trying to, to teach our kids and it seems that like our kids are a little more active than the other kids. And maybe the temptation is also because we live in a life that people only say when they're doing fine. Social media has pushed us to give this false sense of like Disneyland kind of living all the time. We, we went to Hawaii last April, last year, I was trying to get as far away from the Communist Republic of Montgomery County, Maryland. So I ended up in Hawaii. <laughs> and and I'm, I'm in Hawaii, and we're having a wonderful time, and we're going to take a hike, and we're doing this hike. And the kids, they were, they were not behaving. They were not making sure that people could pass them. They were being a little bit spacey. There's like a, like a cliff, and they're not paying attention. So this 45-minute hike became a 45-minute lecture. I was like, the whole time, I don't know if this happened in English, but in Spanish, I'm an expert. And we get to the top of this lighthouse, this wonderful view. I take out my camera, selfie time, we all smile, perfect family, put it in Facebook. I put the phone back, because we, we are used to, like, everybody has perfect life, only our kids are the ones struggling. And we tend to envy, and we are tempted towards that. Sometimes we can tempted, be tempted by our all self. I, 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 was in, I was an engineer, I had, I had an IT job, I was doing well, and for some time, this Latino thought he was white, and I started playing golf. And I remember one time, I can't do those jokes. <laughs> uh, I remember one time um, after I resigned, finances were tight, I'm preaching in a church in Puerto Rico, and they put me in a hotel with a golf course on the back that I used to play there every time I go to Puerto Rico. And I just couldn't. I didn't have the money to pay for it. And I was envious of my old self. That time, I was about to preach God's word. What, most, what, what thing more glorious I could have done to, to a church. And in my heart, I was discontent because I couldn't play a, a, a round of golf. I deserve it. Oh, God, I serve you, and you're taking these that I love from me. Look at verse 13. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence, for all the, all the day long, I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. You see what's happening here? The psalmist is believing the prosperity gospel. 
He's believing that if he do good things for God, God needs to do good things for him. It's a quid pro quo. God, I do this for you. You should do all these things for me. And many times we can preach against the prosperity gospel, when, but when suffering comes, we believe the prosperity gospel. Because we cannot believe the things that are happening to us because in those times of self-centeredness that we have all go through, that we are forgetting the gospel. We think that we deserve better, and we forget that we deserve hell. Through this psalm inspired by God, we see that in the moments of suffering, we cannot look at ourselves. We need to look to another place. In the presence of God, we experience the goodness of God. Point number three the presence of God. The psalmist is about to give us the solution, the solution to the dilemma of, of the suffering that is happening and this envious impulse toward the wicked. And he gives us the solution in verse 17, until I went into the sanctuary of God. Oh, that's an amazing verse. Because we will see that the psalmist doesn't tell us that his problems were solved. He doesn't tell us that things changed. What changed was where he was looking at. He started looking at God instead of looking at himself and looking at other people. And the place that that happened was the place where God dwelt. Things changed when he went to the place that God dwelt, the sanctuary. And we have to ask ourselves, what is that place in this moment of redemption history? Where is the place that God dwells? We have to ask that question because when we are in that moment that we are blinded by the punch that we just received and we are tempted to, to start looking at other people and our hearts start envy other people, we see the solution is going to the sanctuary of God. And I do believe through biblical theology that God has dwelt in different places to salvation history. He was in Eden. Then he was in, in, in Mount Sinai. Then he was in the tabernacle. Then in the temple. Then he walked in the person of Jesus Christ. And now he's present in his church. Especially when we meet together at his temple. Oh, brothers and sisters, this is the sanctuary. We come every Sunday. Expectance. We, we are in those chairs like, like you, brother. In the edge of our seat. Talk to me, God. Talk to me, God, through imperfect people, your perfect word, so that my mind is not consumed by the thing of the world. Oh, brothers and sisters, I don't want to minimize your suffering. Your suffering is real. And I'm sure the church wants to walk with you in these days. But we need to go to the sanctuary of God so we can start seeing life in the right way. And start to not desire the end of the suffering, but start desiring the, desiring the presence of God. I'm 47 years old. I know what you guys are thinking right now. He looks way younger. Thank you very much. <laughs> when I was 39 and 80 pounds heavier, I started running. I'm running and running and running, and my wife thought I was becoming Forrest Gump. <laughs> and I, I went and sign up for a half marathon in a moment that we were going through a very difficult time. 
So we're running through this, we're going to run this first half marathon, and we are going through moments of suffering in the church. And I told my wife a couple of days before, uh, baby, I think we are in mile number 12 of this trial. The, the finish line is almost there. So th that, that's why, like, Thursday race was uh, Saturday, first half marathon. I'm pumped. I have rocky music in my playlist. <laughs> There's uh, 25,000 people. It's a big race. And part of the race is half marathoners, and the other part is marathoners. And at mile 12, there's a Y where the full marathoners, everybody started at the same time, the full marathoners will go to the right and the half marathoners will go to the left. I see run, fellow runners here nodding their heads. They have been in that situation. And at that point, it's kind of interesting because the half marathoners are everybody's like, yeah, high five, you know, life is great. And the full marathoners are like, ah, <laughs> you know. And it wasn't like an audible voice of God, but I felt the Spirit of the Lord telling me, what, what if this trial is a full marathon? What if this trial is an ultra-marathon? Is your hope in the end of the trial? Or is your hope is in me? I think sometimes we, we try to put our hope in, in the finish of the trial, and we want the trial to end. We are not masochists. But, but that's not the comfort. The comfort is God. And, and, and look at verse 17 when he said that until I went into the sanctuary of God, then... I discern their end. Their perspective, the perspective of the psalmist became one of from present to eternity. He, the people that he was envy, envy, being envious, he saw the end of their lives. He saw what was going to be of him. And brothers and sisters, eternity needs to change our perspective. When we look at life, we don't see this momentary moment but we see eternity, and that should help us adjust our perspective. I don't like superhero movies. It's not my thing. I'm, 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 I'm a very kind of like pragmatic kind of person, so, you know, Avengers, things like that, I, I don't like them that much, but my son liked them. So every once in a while, I take a loan and take it to the, to the movies because it's so expensive to go there. And... I'm in a moment in my life that I don't have the emotional equity to invest it in a movie that will have me on the edge of the seat. I just don't have it, you know. I just want to laugh, you know. I, 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 there's too much going on for me to see what's going to happen. So what I do, because I want to do things that my kids love, is I go to Wikipedia, I read the plot of the movie, I know everything that's going on, I buy a big bucket of popcorn, I sit there, and I know what's going to happen. And everybody's, what's going to happen? Well, you know what's going to happen. The good guy's always going to win. But, you know, I can be, yeah, that guy's going to die. That guy's going, he's going to get now apprehended, but he's going to get free later. And it takes away the stress of watching the movie. It's wonderful. This is what verse 17 wants to do to us. It's giving us the end. 
He's giving us what's going to happen. And that should comfort us in the present. In our hardest moment, we know the end. We can kick back. We can get the popcorn because we know how it's going to finish and it's going to be a good for us. And instead of envying the wicked, we should feel pity toward them. Look, look at the end of the ungodly, verse 7, 19. How they're destroyed in a moment. Swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O oh Lord, when you rose yourself, you despise them as fathom. I cannot know anything worse that can happen to a human being than being despised by God. There's nothing to envy. But, but then you see the, the end of his people. And when we say his people, we have to remember the gospel. We can only be his people through the saving sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Verse 21, when my soul was embittered, when I was pricking hard, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Brothers and sisters, what he's saying is we're thinking like animals when we forget the truth of the gospel in those moments. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. The goodness of God, we see it in his providence of saving us. Past, present, and future. You see what he's saying? I'm continually with you. He knew in those moments that he didn't see the nearness of God. He now sees that he was with God all the time. That God was with him. That if now he can see in the sanctuary, it's because God has preserved him. And not only that, he will sustain us and he will get, take us all the way to glory. And when we understand that our salvation is based on the care and the sustaining strength of our good God, we can cry to Him something that this psalmist is crying with us and saying, you are all I need because you're the one that can save me. Whom I have in heaven but you. And there's nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Brothers and sisters, as I finish, the end of God's people is the nearness of God. And the end of the ungodly is away, verse 27. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is so faithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord my refuge, that I may tell you of your works. So we could be in Mile 13. We could be in Mile 26. We could be running a half marathon. We just got the punch that has shaken us. But the promise of God is he will be with his people. And his nearness is a reminder of the gospel of Jesus Christ because without the gospel, his nearness will be our end. We should be consumed. But with the goodness of God, we can come to him and we can be taking care of him. And the thing that is more important, our final judgment will be taking care of us in the presence of Jesus Christ. So that's how God becomes that thing that we can cry with the psalmist, who I have in heaven but you. 
because of the goodness of God, He can preserve us and we can be sustained in difficult times for His glory. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your kindness and goodness. And we're grateful for your word that is sustaining and is good. And I pray for any brother and sister that are in the midst of suffering, that you will sustain them with your kindness and care, and that they will be reminded of the truth of the gospel. If anyone right now, even his soul is troubled by being looking at the world instead of looking at you, that you will lift their heads to look at Jesus Christ. And if anyone here is, uh, as I know you, as I know the beauty of coming to your presence, open their eyes to see the beauty of Jesus as Lord and Savior, and that they will trust Jesus' sacrifice as the only way to the Father where we only can find the comfort we need in times of need. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you.